So I'm not sure how many of you are old enough to remember the craze that swept the nation back in the early 90s. Everyone was into this thing. There were posters, there were coffee table books that you went everywhere this thing was on and it was called the magic eye. Do you remember this? It was a picture that had like a pattern on the front or a picture on the front but that wasn't the beauty of it. As lovely as that looked, the real image was actually deeper into the picture and you had to do this like squinty, really weird squinty thing to be able to see through the picture to see the the real beauty. Does anyone remember Magic Eye? Yeah. And the nation was divided into two. Those that could just pick it up and go, oh yeah, it's a bird. Oh yeah, it's the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, easy. And then the rest of us would go, oh yeah, now I see it. And you don't see it. And everyone else knew that you didn't see it and you bring it in close. It's like grandma trying to read or Pam. Like, you know, it's like these ones. Like, where is the thing here? Come on, Pam. You know, it's true. It's like these ones. I offered to hold Pam's Bible for her before just to get a little bit extra length. And you'd hold this thing and you couldn't quite work out. Listen, Joel wanted to make, make, make fun of Brad and say, look like Superman. You're an easier target than Brad. He's a lot bigger than me. I'm sorry. So... <laughs> It's always dangerous when I get the microphone. And you'd hold this thing and you couldn't see it. And you're squinting and you're looking through and it was all about the perspective. You didn't want to focus on the stuff at the front. You had to look through it. You had to look deeper in to try and see this image that was further back. And this idea of perspective and looking beneath the surface level, looking deeper into something is a really interesting notion. And for me, especially when we deal with people is that it is so easy to make a judgment call on what we see on the surface. Someone speaks in a way, someone acts in a way, someone does something, and it's so easy to make a judgment call. So out in Cessnock, occasionally people will drive through red lights and drive a little bit ridiculously, and my wife always says, oh, who's going to... And I say, you don't know that person isn't rushing to the hospital for the birth of their first child. I always take the higher ground because that's, you know, the type of nice guy I am. But we don't know what's going on. We judge things on a surface and we don't know what goes deeper beneath and what's going on. As the principal at the school, I often get the kids sent to me. And that's always fun because they get up, they get sent to you because of a behaviour. They've done something and now they go to the principal, now we'll fix this kid, we'll send him to Mr Cox and he'll sort them right out. And to be honest... I'm more interested in why they did and what's going on and how come and what for and what led to that. And that whole notion of looking deeper, too often, too often we, uh, we hear about Christians being critical and judgmental because someone uses a naughty word or someone says something in a certain way or someone drank some stuff or whatever it be. And, and too often we hear that Christians are the first ones to condemn and to judge and to criticise and to put down And it breaks my heart because if anyone on this earth should understand what grace is, it is those who have got a relationship with Jesus. We should know that better than anyone because I am no different. We are no different. Paul writes, hey, I do the stuff I don't want to do and the stuff I don't want to do, I keep doing. He gets it. We all still got the stuff going on. It's just the fact that we understand that we have received of grace. And how much more then should we be able to bestow that same grace upon someone else? It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. We didn't get our stuff together and act and dress and speak and, okay, now I'm ready and I'm right for God. It doesn't work that way. 
Actually, God accepted us even when we were still just carrying on the way we were. One of the things in running the school at Cessnock is that 90, 95% of our families out there are non-churched and they send their kids to a Christian school, which is always an interesting conversation. And they send them to us. And one of the big things for us in setting culture is that they belong. Is that as soon as you come in, you belong. You're part of the family. You are welcome here. I love having you in here. And that that is so important for us that they belong and they're a part of it. And then, then should they choose to believe, let's praise God and celebrate that. And then after they've believed, maybe some behaviours may change a little bit. But too often we get it the other way around. And we expect people to behave. Okay, behave for me. I don't like that word. I don't like that. Actually, let's let them belong. And let their belief change their behaviours. And so for the next four weeks, our verse is from Luke 19, chapter 10. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I want to start, though, with a verse. It's five verses from Romans. And it says, Welcome with open arms, fellow believers, who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they say or do something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they've got their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who's been around for a while might be well convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? Here's the clincher. If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Our job is not to correct behavior. I didn't start a relationship with Jesus a number of years ago, so I could now go about the business of correcting people's behavior and expecting them to dress and act and speak just like me. Heaven forbid. When I accepted that relationship with Jesus, my job then became to actually share that same grace with other people. And to show them the love that I had so freely received. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to be looking not into ourselves, like too often happens in our Christian experience, that it's, oh, it's all about me and kumbaya and whatever else it be. But actually, the next four weeks is about us looking at other people. We are going to be the church. We're being the church on a Saturday night. And we're going to be the church Monday through Sunday as well, wherever we are, whomever we meet and encounter. And that is what the next four weeks is going to be about. And so today I'd like to start with a story. It's from Luke chapter 19. And it's a story that a lot of people in the room would know very well. And it's a story of a guy called Zacchaeus. Let's read about Zacchaeus. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Just as he was on his way into Jericho, this is up on there. Just as he was on his way into Jericho, as he was approaching Jericho, he just healed a blind man. Healed a blind man. So you can imagine the crowds now are absolutely huge, swelling around this guy that's just healed a blind man. And he's now walking into Jericho and he's got all these followers and the crowds are around and the place is going nuts because the rock star of the time, Jesus Christ, is healed there, is on his way in. So let's get around this guy. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So often when we think about Jesus came to seek and save the lost, I don't know about you, but I conjure up an image of the person who is lost. 
And often that person who is lost is, oh, they're sort of, they've got a whole lot of stuff going on. I might think of a homeless person, might think of someone who's really got a bad disease, a leprosy. We read about leprosy a lot in the Bible. Like I really think of someone who is down and out in life and doesn't have a lot going for them. And too often that's the image I conjure up when I think of someone who is lost and needs Jesus. So the first story that we're going to hear this month is about a guy called Zacchaeus and he's wealthy. He's got his stuff going on. He's got it all together. The chief tax collector, his job was to collect the taxes to give to the Romans who were in charge at the time. The Romans only needed their certain amount of tax or whatever Zacchaeus chose to accept, take on top of that. That was up to him. So he had some greed going on. But I wonder where that greed came from. Oh, he was a greedy man. Greedy man, that's not cool. Well, I wonder how many of us have ever claimed an extra couple of dollars on our tax. I wonder how many of us have not given back the right change when some lovely teenager couldn't do maths at the cafe and gave us an extra $5 back. Did we give it back? Have we kept that stuff ourselves? Did we, have we ever snuck and made into a cinema for free? It's probably sharing a little bit too much just then. But it's so easy to do, isn't it? You're like, you two of you go in with one, the tubs, and then you take out the other half-torn stub and you give it to the guy waiting out in the foyer. It's like, it's easy to do. Why don't they ever pick up on that? Anyway, we've all done stuff that has been dishonest. At the end of the day, we've all done stuff that's been dishonest, and Zacchaeus is no different. And why wouldn't he be? He's got a chance to make some money. And why, who knows why he needs to make money? Is the money giving him self-esteem? Is that where he gets his recognition from? Does he want to live a certain lifestyle? Why is it that he wants to make extra money? We don't know, but that's something for you to think about as we think about Zacchaeus rather than just, oh, greedy man, that's no good. But he was a tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The crowds around Zacchaeus would have been huge. They would have been wanting them to do a miracle, Jesus to do a miracle for them. They would have been bringing their sick. They may have had their own things going on. If Jesus can heal that blind man, I want him to do something for me as well. And they're crowding around him. They're swelling around him. And then we read about this guy called Zacchaeus and they hated Zacchaeus. He was cheating them out of their money every time he came to collect their tax and they knew that him, one of their own Jews, was ripping them off and they didn't want him to be around. I can only imagine how unloved and lonely and isolated Zacchaeus felt. These people would do anything to keep him away, let alone let him stand at the front of a road and and engage and encounter this incredible teacher, healer called Jesus. There's no way he deserves that opportunity. And there's no way that Jesus would want to encounter this guy. Like He's a thief. He's dishonest. He cheats people out. He cheats his own people out. He cheats people who don't even have that much money. And he cheats them out of money. What a nasty guy. There's no way that Jesus would want to encounter that guy. And they would have kept him away. And I can only imagine that Zacchaeus probably would have been feeling the same way. Jeez, I probably am being a bit dishonest. 
probably done some stuff that this Jesus isn't going to be really impressed with. Like these, this Jesus guy, he's claiming to be the son of God and man, he's close to it. Like he's healing people and stuff. There's no way. Why would he want to encounter a guy like me? So Zacchaeus runs ahead of the crowd. And the way I see it is that if you run ahead of the crowd, you then get ahead of the crowd, which means you could have got prime position on the side of the road. So why get ahead of them? And then climb the crowd. Like you've done the hard work in getting ahead of the crowd by running a place to get your, your spot. I can only imagine the reason he got ahead and then decided to go up the tree was because of this feeling of unworthiness. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of this incredible man called Jesus. And I'll just have a look. It says that he just wanted to see who Jesus was. There would have been people there wanting a miracle and a healing and, and, and to encounter Jesus and to receive some of his lessons or teachings. And Zacchaeus was there. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. And I wonder why we're all here for today. Some of us are here to encounter Jesus. Some of us are here maybe because we want a miracle. Some of us are here because it's the right thing to do and going to church is a good thing to do. Some of us are here out of courtesy to friends and family. Someone might be here today just checking this thing out. And there might be someone who goes, well, I keep hearing about this guy called Jesus and I'm seeing some stuff in someone's life and maybe I should just go and check who this Jesus is out. I don't know what the reason that you're here at church today is. But Zacchaeus just wanted to see who Jesus was. And he wanted to catch a glimpse from afar. And he would have had his stuff going on in his own heart. And the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What is going on in your own heart as you sit here today? You know, it's easy we try and do life on our own. Study hard, get good grades, speak nicely, be a nice person, get a good job, get a good job, get a nice house, get a nice house, get a nice lady, whatever it be. We get married, we have a family, everything works out really, really well. But there are hundreds of us sitting here today who know the reality is that that is not how life goes. The reality is that there is illness, there is accidents, there is evil that happens. We know that that is not how life plays out. And yet we still try to be in control of all of this stuff. And when we say that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the lost is going, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. I don't know how I can keep doing this life stuff on my own. The lost stuff is, man, I've got this thing going on in my head about how I feel and how I see myself and what I think others see in me. That's what it is to be lost. Lost doesn't mean that you're just down and out. And lost doesn't just mean that you're incredibly sick. Lost is, oh man, life is incredibly difficult. And gee, I've got some stuff going on. The voices that speak into our head. And surely I can't be the only person sitting in the room who the voices come and speak to your head. And they often speak into your head when it's late at night and you just about want to go to sleep. And then you start thinking about the conversations you've had during the day or interactions that you've had. And they start playing on your head and you start thinking this stuff about yourself. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that's what it is. It's those points there where Jesus wants to speak into that part of your heart. And a relationship with Jesus speaks into that part of your heart and your mind. So Zacchaeus runs ahead and he climbs a tree, probably trying to get out of the way of Jesus. 
And it's interesting for me that Jesus gets to the spot, as it said in the text, and he looks up and sees Zacchaeus. I don't know about you, but I don't often walk around looking up in trees for wealthy businessmen. It's not something that I do. I look out for plovers at this point in time in life and magpies, and I've got to tell you, our family could have gone viral on YouTube trying to get rid of plover eggs in our backyard a month ago. Hey, it was hilarious. We were all out there with our bike helmets on, banging these orange sticks. Anyway, I should have videoed it. I could have been a superstar. I don't walk around looking up for men in trees. So what was it about this guy, Jesus? He is surrounded by crowds. There's people pushing in. And and I don't know if any of you have ever been to these parts of the world, but it's tight and there's lots of people. They cram in and they clamber. It's not sort of, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Man, I nearly got into a fight in Jerusalem, hey, because they were just cramming us. One photograph and they're pushing in everywhere. So I can only imagine if Jesus were there and he just healed someone, how much more intense the crowds have been. And in the middle of that, he stops and he looks up and sees Zacchaeus. You know, way back when in Genesis chapter 3, and Adam and Eve had their stuff going on, they had the fall. And then they realized that, oh my gosh, we've done the wrong thing. Oh, what do we do now? And they went and they clothed themselves. And what did they do? It says in Genesis chapter 3, they hid from the Lord. And God came walking in the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? We, we serve a God who comes looking for us. He came to seek and save the lost. You're not out on your own. Way back in the garden, God walked out and looked for Adam and called out to him, where are you? And today, if you're sitting here just catching a glimpse of God, you know something, he's going, where are you? Where are you? You don't have to do this life on your own. You don't have to do relationships on your own. You don't have to put up with the stress at work on your own. You don't have to try and deal with the raising the children on your own. God is saying, where are you? Because he's out there, he is seeking you. So he gets to the spot and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. And for me, that is a real spiritual connection between our heavenly father and his earthly children. And he's looking out for you today as well. And when we go into our weeks and we want to live out this verse that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, you know what we should be doing is that we should be seeking the lost as well. Our job is not to wait for them to walk through front doors on a Sunday and go, oh, woohoo. <laughs> Our job is to go and seek them. For me, being a principal out at Cessnock is far more than just English, maths, and whatever else it be. It's actually seeking the lost and speaking life and hope and love into their life, into a town that has known darkness. And actually, guess what? There is a God, a God of hope. And to give young people and give a town an aspiration. I'm out there seeking it. That's why Cessnock appealed to me. Because to be honest with you, six or seven years ago, I was very happy down in Sydney, wearing my skinny suits in the fancy cafes, thinking it was all together. But I, I just knew that there was something that God wanted me to do. Who are the people in your world that are lost, that are hurting, and that you know need God? We need to seek them out. And it's a spiritual, it's a supernatural thing. Like it's, it's a supernatural occurrence when Jesus looks up into a tree to see Zacchaeus sitting in a tree. That is supernatural. That's not just something in the earthly. You walk up, look in a tree. It's not how it goes. So Jesus had a supernatural, a spiritual encounter. 
So when we encounter people in our own life, our prayers should be, God, give me a word to speak into someone today. Who needs a touch of your love today? Who needs one of your promises that are yes and amen from your word today? And who can I speak that into? So do you know something? I have kids that come into my office. And last week I had a serious, serious situation. Year nine girls. They're often year nine girls, aren't they, Pam? I don't know what Santa gives them at the end of year eight, but I tell you what. Year nine girls. I sat there and I was just about to read the riot act. And I went, no, I'm going to stop. How's things at home? And she just looked at me. And we ended up having this incredible conversation. And there is a lot of serious stuff going on at home. So it's no wonder that she's acting out with the other stuff. It was very, very easy for me to say, you've been a naughty little girl. That's inappropriate. That's unacceptable in this college. We have standards. Da-da-da. You're out. Do you know something? She's still in our college. Why? Because I believe in a God of the second chance. And when we encounter people, I pray that we all believe in a God of the second chance. And that when we encounter people, we will speak those words of love and hope into their life. Jesus encounters Zacchaeus in the tree. Man, I I reckon Zacchaeus is now spinning out. I'm just here to have a look. What about all those other people? I'm just here to have a look. I was trying to get out of the way. Man, I've done some bad stuff. I'm not really up for this. And Jesus says, hey, I want, I want to come to your house, which is a real sign of acceptance. Not just, hey, man, how are you going? And then let's move on with small chat. Actually, I want to come to your house. Coming to your house is I want to have a relationship with you. That's the God that we serve. And that's the God that wants to encounter lost people, not just to oh, those lost people out there. Actually, he wants to have a relationship This morning we sang a song and it said that Jesus loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And he does love us. He didn't look up in the tree and say, Zacchaeus, man, you got some bad stuff you've been doing. You need to pay these people back. How many times do we tell people to say sorry? You've got to say sorry to that kid over there. Well, there's no apology in it because they're just doing what they're being told. And they don't want to get into more more trouble. Jesus could have said, Zacchaeus, pay them back, man. That's not acceptable. It's not on. I'm a teacher of the law here. I'm a healer. I'm a whatever. You get your stuff together. He cuts through all of that and just says, hey, I want to come to your house. And you're sitting here today and you know something? He wants to come to your house too. He just wants to come and have a relationship with you. That's what he's looking for. The other stuff, it'll figure itself out. He just wants to come and have a relationship with you. John Maxwell says that often people don't have the right perspective of Jesus. And I don't believe Zacchaeus had the right perspective either. He's there, he's hiding away, watching from a distance. Who knows what he thought? Does he think Jesus is like a judge or an angry teacher or something? He's just going to go mad at him? What was his perspective on Jesus? But I know it wasn't right because if he believed that Jesus was a God of love, he would have been down there going, falling on his knees, just going, Lord, have mercy on me. And I don't know what your perspective is of Jesus today, but Jesus is a lover of your soul. We are heart, soul, and mind. There is more that goes on deep inside of ourselves, and Jesus is, that's where he wants to minister to. So Zacchaeus comes down from the trees and just says, I'm sorry. Here, I give half my stuff away. 
Half my stuff away, I give it away right now. And if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay them back four times the amount. The law at the time said you only had to pay three times back. So Zacchaeus goes, no, I'm going to give him four times back the amount. The transformation in this man's life was immediate and it was amazing. And it wasn't just a story for the Bible. You know, this is real in my life today. The guy that I am today is so far removed from who I used to be. So far removed. God does transform lives. Miracles still do exist. The stuff that goes on that you think there is no way of overcoming. He can't have breakthrough in this area. I've got this tough relationship. I've got this tough circumstance. I think this about myself. People see that about myself. Jesus does break through that today. And just as he did in Zacchaeus' life, he will break through in that with you today as well. He's an incredible, loving God. And that is a God that we need to represent. That is the God that we need to introduce our friends to. That's the God we need to introduce family and work colleagues to. At the right time, God will give you the right words. You'll love them through your actions. Not a roll of the eye or a scoff if they use it in not a nice word or they do something that we don't think is the right way to behave. God will correct behavior. Our job is just to let them know that there is a God who is full of grace and love. And introduce him to that. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He loves you unconditionally. He didn't have to get Zacchaeus into the temple first. Hey, come to the temple. Start acting. Uh Uh-uh. He loves us unconditionally. Jesus loves unconditionally. He's not out to punish people, but he's out to rescue people. That's the God we serve. And over the next few weeks, as we read through Luke chapter 19, as we read through Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. My prayer is that as we go into our daily lives, we will be looking for who can we share the love of God with? How can we reflect the love of God? How can we love unconditionally as well? So as we focus on that, I want to share a story with you. And it's a story of a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred. And on this, uh, on this part of the coast, there was this really crude little life-saving station. Just a hut, nothing to it. There was only one boat and the boat and there was a few devoted members who kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day and night into the dangerous sea tirelessly searching for the lost to help those who are lost at sea. And this wonderful little station saved so many lives that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas, they wanted to become a a part of it. They wanted to be associated with this station. They wanted to give it their time. They wanted to give some money to it. They wanted to be a part of the effort to support the work that it was all about. New boats were bought, new crew members were trained. This little station was growing. It was meeting a need. It was saving people out in the rough sea. The life-saving station grew. But some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from sea. 
So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and they put better furniture in an enlarged building and they put some couches and made a, a, a waiting space there. Well, now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as a sort of club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do this work for them. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities. At about this time, there was a large ship that was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews went out and they brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, they were sick. Some had had skin of a different colour. Some spoke a strange language and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some members insisted that the life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out they were still called a life-saving station. They were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in the waters, well, then they could go and start their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. They evolved into a club and yet another life-saving station was founded. And if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. Too often, that can be the experience of a church. And that is not a church that any of us want to be a part of. That is not the reason why any of us give our hearts to Christ in the first place. We give our hearts to Christ because just like Zacchaeus, we needed a saviour. And we recognise that that saviour's name was Jesus. And unfortunately along the way, sometimes we make it about us and about songs and where we sit and what we eat and what instruments we use and the list goes on. And we're in danger of becoming like the life-saving station. The message today is that Jesus loves unconditionally. His whole mission, summed up in this verse, was to seek and save the lost. His mission was not to have more people join the temple. His mission was not to make sure that everyone ate certain foods and recognized certain ceremonies and rituals. His mission was to seek and to save the lost. That's what a life with Christ is all about. And if you are here this morning 
my heartfelt prayer for you is that you would know what a relationship with Jesus can truly be about. If you have encountered hypocrisy, judgmentalism, judgment, whatever it be along your way in your life, I apologize on behalf of a Christ follower. It's too often where Christians do not reflect the loving grace of the Savior called Jesus Christ. And this morning, my prayer is that you would know him personally. The difference he's made in my life is just unbelievable. I stand up here a transformed man because of one person. His name is Jesus. And the way that you are here today, because it's just what you do on a Sunday, or you're here and you're visiting and you just were looking at Jesus from afar, my prayer is that you would not leave this place without knowing Jesus personally for yourself. He loves you. No matter what you've got going on in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, He loves you. No matter what you wear, what you eat, how you speak, He loves you. Whether you think you're good enough, whether you match up to what mum and dad expected for you, He loves you. Whether you're the husband and wife in your relationship that you need to be, He loves you. Whether you've got a temper going on or whether you deal with your stuff through taking substances or whatever it be, He loves you. And my prayer is that you would come to love Him too. Jesus came to seek and save the lost church. Let us be the life-saving station that goes out to rescue people who are drowning, to rescue those who need the love of a Saviour called Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we worship God this morning.